no, breakthrough is coming. Breakthrough is coming. I like the tone of that little phrase, I know that breakthrough is coming. Sometimes, this morning you might be standing in church right now waiting for a breakthrough. You might have been waiting for a long time for a breakthrough. The Bible says that it's important to write down the vision of your life, write down where you're headed so that a herald can run with it. And though it delays, though it might appear to be a long time coming, wait, because it'll come. So I want to pray this morning that before you sit down, if you've already sat down, that's not a problem, stay seated. I just want to pray as we come around your word, the the word of God this morning, because his word, preaching the word of God is a mystery. This is not a TED talk. This is not a lecture about the do's and don'ts of life. This is a moment where the word of God is opened and in this case, it's me this morning giving some explanation as to what I think certain parts of it are saying. Whilst that happens anywhere in the world, God miraculously shifts people's hearts to have hopefully a moment where His love for you pops into your being as He actually does love me, warts and all. So I just want to pray as you come around this message this morning that God would have the opportunity just to whisper some truth into your life. So Father, we pray today that as we assemble under this canopy of preaching, that the miracle working power of the blood of Jesus, the incredible power of the Holy Spirit would move on every one of us and we, not one of us would leave this place the same we came in, that something will have shifted in us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Give the Lord a clap offering and have a seat. Fantastic. You may be seated. Thanks, crew. Great job this morning. We might get you back if there's time at the end of the meeting. Um, I've got a lot to say, so maybe not going to happen. But anyway, it's all good. One of the most um, frustrating questions a little three-year-old can ask you, probably a bit younger than that, two-year-old, is why? You ever wondered why the why question is such an annoying question? Because it can, if it comes around like, why pa, or why mom, or why this, why that, why this, why that? And this morning, I want to talk to you about the importance of being honest with and wrestling to the ground your why. Like, why are you here? I don't mean in church. I mean, why do you even exist? Why, why have you got a life with the journey you've had thus far? My understanding is that oftentimes many of us don't take the time or won't make the time to actually examine the why. We'll talk about the what, the how, the where. Have to talk about, for example, I just came down and just randomly spoke to someone down here and said, hi, my name's Bruce, and you'll see what your name was. And one of the first questions that, that I've learned to ask is, what do you do? It's a what question. It would be really weird if I walked up to Tim and said, hey, Tim, why do you exist? <laughs> that wouldn't be a really nice opening question, would it? Like, like why have you got that grey hair? <laughs> why are you so handsome and I'm so not? Why are you more intelligent? Because Tim actually is a forensic scientist, so he's a pretty bright spark. It's, um, it's like, I, the why questions are a little creepy, aren't they? They're a little confronting. Reading a book this week, and uh, one of the things that this author has said that helped me understand this is that 
the why question in our mind, the, the actual part of our mind that processes why questions is completely different to the part of our mind that processes the what questions and the how. And the why questions really are difficult to dig into, but we must. The people who got baptized this morning have expressed to us by doing a what, they've got baptized, but they've expressed to us a why. Why did they get baptized? They got baptized because they love Jesus. They got baptized because arrogance gave way to humility. They, they baptized because there was a why, there was an aha moment for them. And so I want to talk to you this morning about a story in the Bible where a guy has a, an aha moment. Now, it's all wrapped up on a whole lot of what's, as in what's going on. It's the, it's the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. You may know this story if you've been around church for a long time. It's the sort of uh, story that's been made into movies. It's a, it's a very easy story to tell when it comes to the what. So let me just tell you this. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. We're in Matthew, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and following. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Wow. Can you imagine that um, just what? So that's the what. What did the father do? Divided the estate. It would appear to me, I've always read that, he divided it in half, gave one half to one son and one half to the other. But the story at the end indicates that the father and the son who remained together were working the same property. So he divided it maybe into three. I don't know, just a little aside. That's a what? It's all good to have those what questions. Oh, what's, what's that all about? But my question to ask you is, in that little statement, so he divided his property between them, what's the father's why? What is his why? Why would he agree to that? Why would he, without question, it doesn't say he had to go away and think about it, he had to go away and pray about it, he had to go away and seek God about it, he had to go and speak to his wife, he had to go and do, he just said, he just had a why that came straight out of his mouth, so he divided it up. What was his why? Ooh, we've all gone quiet. Mmm. We'll come back to it in a moment. So not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. You can preach this story about wrong choices, about what you should and shouldn't do. This story is not about that. This story is not about what we do or don't do. We've all made mistakes. We've all gone down dead-end streets, haven't we? We've all been in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Maybe not for a long time, depending on where you've been hanging out. But I've got to tell you, the what side of life is a mess. And a lot of people want to bring a message about God's concern about the what. No, God's not as concerned about our what as he is concerned about our why. Why do you exist? Why do you do what you do, Bruce? Why do you think that? Why do you believe that? Those questions are difficult. This particular author I mentioned a moment ago also said something else that's very interesting. The part of our mind that processes why questions is completely um, hopeless around the words, words. You ever had that question when someone asks you a why question and you can't really, you kind of, oh, I don't know. Why did you do that? I don't know. Now, that is a learned response to avoiding the conundrum of not being able to enter into the place that's got words in it. So in other words, the answer to a why question oftentimes is a, is a question that you can't quite put your finger, the words don't come. 
Because the words don't describe the why, because why is a feeling. Why is an emotional response? Why? Why did you steal that? Uh, oh, because I could. That, that's a, that is a, an answer, but it's actually one that refuses to go into the why. It's, a, it's talking about the cho- I had a choice to make, so I made one, I took it. Why did you tell a lie? Or because I thought I'd get into trouble if I told the truth. That is also avoiding the why question. The why is, I'm dishonest if I lied. I'm actually a liar. I don't like telling myself that, but it's like, whatever it is. So this son, he heads off. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. This story is about a whole bunch of whys, three of them. There's a father and two sons, and we get a window of opportunity to inspect their why. The father's why, why does he live? He lives for the benefit of his kids. His why is you. His son asks him a what question, can you give me all this stuff? And the father's response is, so so he divided the stuff up between them. So we get a story about what he did, but we don't get an explanation as to why he did. And what I reckon is woven into the fabric of this story is the father's heart for his sons is, I live for you. What matters to me is you. That's the Jesus that we believe in. Did Jesus, let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? You could have a whole bunch of stories. You could, yes, like theological unload about the blood and about um, sacrifice and all that stuff and that would be a whole bunch of what questions being answered that's what he did but why why did he die on the cross some of us go I've got no idea that's because it's a why question it's actually entering into the arena of your life in a part of your world that you and I find so hard to put words to so I, it's like, so I don't really know why he died for me. I don't understand it. That's because that question is not being asked of your rational mind. It's not asking you a question that is to do with deduction, um, to do with logic, to do with rationale. It's to do with a way more, what's the word, less easy to define part of our world. Why did he die? Did Jesus need to die because he was a sinner? So... Guess what? He didn't die for himself. I've noticed, even at 61, this is confession time, I, I actually have to face the brutal reality. I love my wife, my family, my grandkids. But I face the brutal reality again and again and again, probably every day, that I'm essentially selfish. I still, after 40-something years of following Christ... When push comes to shove, the one that matters to me most is me. That's just being completely transparent. It shocks me. It shocks me again and again and again. And I found the Holy Spirit's continuously taking me into the the big pen of why. Why is it all about you, Bruce? Why, when a push comes to shove, do you back yourself into a corner? It's about what you want. I haven't actually answered that question yet. I've actually still got to go to the cross probably on a daily basis and die to self, it says in the scripture. It talks about 
picking up your cross daily and following him. There's a part of us that's meant to get what happened here in the pool, the character of Jesus into us. But he doesn't appear to me to force it in. He puts it around us and he invites us to let it in. He invites us to let it be like a piece of chalk sitting in a paint pot and letting the colour of the paint tin that it's in begin to absorb the colour of the paint. That's what it's like to hang around Jesus because he never lived for himself, he lived for you. He died on the cross for you. He didn't need to die for his sins. He didn't have any sin. He wasn't a sinner. He's the only person who's ever lived that was perfect. He didn't die from self-centered reasons. He didn't have any problem about being selfish at all because he wasn't. He was completely and utterly sold out on you. He, he was on that cross for you. He was there for you. And when we become Christians, we catch that view of life. So as much as I've confess to you that I live essentially still at times I feel like I'm caught up in this vortex of living for me and there's moments of selfishness so don't get me wrong I'm not saying I'm a selfish person per se but I can have moments where I I'm confronted with the brutal truth I actually still am a little selfish at times in one arena or another but I'm grateful that I got baptized once upon a time I'm grateful that the waters of baptism represent to me um, and remind me that God's infusing his character into me day by day. If I don't hang around him, guess what? I'm not going to get it. Baptism's a moment in time. Walking with Jesus is a journey through life. So for those of you that got baptized this morning, don't think we've, we've woven or waved a magic wand over your life and all of a sudden, whoo, oh, I'm on the go, I'm done. No, no, you've just started. You've just begun the journey. And hanging around other Christians, hanging around the presence of God through worship and reading the Word of God and praying is about that whole process of Him infusing His beautiful character into you and me so that we live for others always. So what I live for is for you. Not because I want to trumpet that, but I'm hoping and praying to God that enough of Him gets into me so that you wouldn't question. At the end of the day, most of the time you go, that guy out there, He's interested in me getting over the line. And I am because of Christ in me. Is anybody getting help from this? So this is the why bit. So the son who's asked for everything, he is pre-Jesus, using the, the timeline of someone coming to Christ. He's actually living for the benefit of him. His whole world is about him. His whole worldview is why does he ask for this stuff? Because he wants it. Why, why does he want to have the property divided up? Because he's living for the benefit of me, as in him. This story in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel is one of three. There's three in a row. And there's economies of scale here. The first story is about a lost sheep. There's a hundred sheep and one's gone missing. And the person who's looking after him drops all those sheep and leaves the 99 behind and goes and finds the one lost one. The next story is 10 coins. Loses one, a woman loses a coin. She goes scurrying through the house till she finds it. And there's great celebration when the lost is found. And this one's about two brothers and one gets lost. Kind of says to me, and Luke structured this sequence of, of parables to give us an idea that whether it was a million people or just one, God will go after you. Jesus would have died on the cross if you're the only person living. Don't be thinking he's kind of, I guess if he has to put up with me, he will. 
No, no, he's relentlessly, absolutely sold out on pursuing you. He absolutely would go to the cross so that you or you or you, if you're the only one on the planet, he'd have no compulsion about going because without that, you don't get to be with him forever. And this story in Luke's gospel is a contraction down of, it basically says, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how many people are around you or how few people there are, doesn't matter what the opportunities look like, whether they're big or small, God wants you. He wants you in his kingdom. I love this story for that reason alone. It is a phenomenal story. So no matter how insignificant you feel, God's why is you. That's interesting, isn't it? Not God's what. We want to give people a whole lot of instructions about what they should do if they're a Christian. I've got some friends and family members over the years who accusatively have said, and you call yourself a Christian. Now, they're actually dabbling in dangerous territory because they're making a judgment about my why by what they see of my what. One of the nastiest things you can do, one of the most difficult conversations you can have is to falsely question someone's motives. When you get into motives, you're dabbling in the arena of, of why and you're dabbling into an arena with words that maybe don't fit the cap you're trying to put them, the cap you're trying to put on, the head you're trying to put it on. Don't question motives unwisely. If you want to have World War III in your family, start asking questions about motives. Start pointing the finger at somebody. Uh, that's dangerous territory. This story is not about that. This story goes on. The sun ends up, and the key verse I want you to pick up this morning, if you're going to read this in your own time, is verse 17. Because this is a story about the transformation of why. Up until verse 17, this son who's asked for his part of the inheritance is living out of a why that's about him. He even used that why to get a job to feed pigs. His why was still all about him and it was a dead-end street going nowhere. It's a sad reality. Some people find this out when they're 15, that living for the benefit of me is a dead-end street. Some people never find out they go to their grave if they never work out that life was never about you. Life that's meaningful is about the benefit of other people. Yes. Life that's meaningful is always having an eye on what's good for you, being another person. So verse 17 says it this way. I'm wondering, again, because this is in the arena of whys, as in W-H-Y, plural. It says in verse 17 in the NIV, when he came to his senses. Right there. Right there is a moment. In a church service like this, you can come to your senses. People in this building have come to their senses with God. There's a moment in time where everything's made sense. Except that Oftentimes, we've never looked in the closet of why. And some body who's an instrument of God, a preacher, doesn't matter, male or female, someone who's got up and said something, or you've read or listened to something online, or you've been in the middle of a worship service, or listened to a song that's Christian, got the gospel in it. Somewhere in that mix, the aha moment is a transformation about your or my why. I go from having... 
I've got to live for my own benefit too. Hang on a minute. It's all about God. Oh, hang on a minute. That means it's all about you. I can just then give my life. So we talk about giving our life to Jesus. That's giving our life to Jesus. I say that's giving our life to him. That's so that we can receive his life and we begin to live from a different paradigm of why. I no longer live for my own benefit. I live for the benefit of other people. And I want to say to you again that it's not a place that is instantly fixed. It's the beginning of a brand new journey. And from here on in, so from this baptism day, from the day that, um, as we heard the five candidates today who got baptised talk about different parts of their journey, somewhere in the midst of all those stories, there is the answer to the question, why? They've actually had a shift in their why. And when we understand the why, it's no problem understanding that it will usually give rise to a different what. We start to behave differently. We start to do things that we didn't used to do and we stop doing things we did used to do. It's called transformation. It's called I'm a brand new creation. It's all about living out of a different why. Is this helping you? Yes, yeah, good. Um, so he... He comes to his senses in verse 17 and says, How many of my father's hired sermons have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Straight there, he's making a statement about his father's why. His father is even benevolent to, in the context of what they're talking about, an ancient Near Eastern cultural context. His hired servants, the hirelings, are blessed and looked after generously because this father's heart, his why is all about the others. It's about other people. It's not making a statement about whether people should be or shouldn't be paid or should be working or shouldn't be working. It's got nothing. The what bit of this story is so, in my view, not irrelevant, but so minuscule compared to the massive issue. It's actually delving into the why questions. It's delving into deep territory for you and for me. So he realises, and he's making a statement about his father's why. He understands his father's generous. He understands his father's about looking after people. He understands, I'm not in that place. I'm a million miles from that. I'm, I'm not even allowed to eat the pig food. I'm dying of, of starvation. He says, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's had a moment where his why has shifted from it's all about me to maybe well, it's not all about me, but I've got no idea what it's about. And that's what repentance is. It's like turning around. It's like contrition. It's like that um, Jake was talking about, that arrogance. Arrogance is a manifestation of a why that's completely wrapped up. I know how everything works. I've got it sorted. I've got life. It's like, and when you realize that, hey, I've got nothing sorted. Nothing makes sense. Whenever everything hits the fan and it's like, it's a huge, huge mess. So what's your Why? Why, this morning, this is my question. You don't have to answer it because it's you listening to me. I'm not listening to you just at the moment. But over lunch, you could tell me what your why is. Why do you live? Why do you do what you do? Why are you in the job you've got? Why are you the sort of person you are? Why do you have that attitude about that but not about this? Why? Why are you a person who's pursuing this as opposed to that? Why? I would ask those sorts of questions not to judge, but to know, to get to know you. Like, why? What makes you tick? What, what sort of things are you going to go into bat for? 
What sort of things you can just, I'm, I'm not shifting on that. Do you know why you're removable on some issues? Who here would concede they're a little stubborn? Oh, come on. I, can, I think it's, yeah. Not putting your hand up? That's exactly right. Is that Jonesy or is that you? Both Simons, both cheeky as. Yes. Not putting my hand up. You know, it's like when the worship leader says, everyone lift their hands. Or everyone close their eyes. You've got to ask the question, at that very moment in time, inside your little grey matter, why do I do that? I'm not, I could care less about the what. It doesn't worry me if you stare me down or not. It doesn't worry me if you don't put your hands up or not. The, the what's irrelevant. But what really cuts to the chase and will make a huge difference in every one of our lives is the brutal introspection, temporary, we don't live in there forever. Why? Why am I so rebellious to an instruction like that? We've noticed going to the Czech Republic for over 12 years. It's a former communist Eastern Bloc country in Europe. There is a significant cultural distrust of leadership that was birthed in and around the corruption of the Soviet regime and the, the communist regime of that country. Um, their English, ver their, sorry, their Czech version of the Bible doesn't even have the word leadership in it. Book of Hebrews talks about honouring the leaders. That word's not in the Czech Bible because they so are turned off by it. Their, their experience of leadership is leaders are always corrupt. And sometimes that's awfully true. But it's not always true. Again, the nuts and bolts of that story, the facts, the what's and the why, the what's and the, the who and the how, is less important to dig around into why. Why are you suspicious? Do you understand? Can we help you to unravel that why so you can find freedom? Are you hanging on to a why this morning that's got you locked up? And you've never had the courage or the help or any other reason, maybe you haven't been backed into a corner like this, this, this son was. He was backed into a corner where he had to actually ask, why am I doing this? I don't want to walk through life and get backed into a corner to ask the why question. I want to get on my knees before God on my own terms, say, Lord, why? Why am I like this? Why does this bother me so much? Why does that sort of person really tick me off? Why do I get uptight at airports in queues? I mean, honestly, for those of you visiting, I hate airport queues, and I've talked about it many times here. And that's a what? Airport queues suck. They really do. They're horrible things. But that's got nothing to do with me processing my why does it get me so flippin' annoyed? And I go into that little closet in my life and I can't find the words. I can't find the explanation just now. I'm working on it, right, hon? Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's a journey of discovery. It's all good. Anyway, time's ticking away very quickly. So the son has this change of heart. He has a change of why. Decides to go home to his father. His father is described as being standing out and he sees his son coming from a long way off. There's another little hint into this father's why. The father is always longing for him to come home. His why is still about that son. He's still so excited. When he sees him, he sees you know, the story. He puts a ring on his finger. He sands on his feet, gives him a coat, 
gives orders for the big calf to be killed and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead is alive again. What was lost is now found. So they began to celebrate. Perfect place for the story to finish. Because we've had a moment of seeing the why of the father and we've seen the why of the son change from living for me for going home to see whether I can fix this and live for the benefit of others like my dad. But there's one other character in the story. The other brother wouldn't be finished without making mention of him. Um, meanwhile, verse 25, the older brother or son was in the field. When he came near the house, he could hear the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. What's his why? He stuck around, he's done all the work. He and his father in shares, halves each now because the third disappeared and was squandered. What, what's his why? Don't know. Just leave that hanging. You don't have to ask that question, but I want you to poke around in it. What is this brother's why? But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He had a crooked why. His why was actually... On the nose, even though his what was honourable, his what was faithful, his what was hardworking, but underneath all of that, his why was corrupt. That describes the human condition so well. You might be working your butt off. You might be putting in long hours. You might be trying to do a whole bunch of stuff with your life that's a what. But my question is, is God allowed to poke around in your why? Is God allowed to get in under the radar of what you're doing and ask you the why question? Why are you doing that, Bruce? Why are you this? What why? And I want to tell you this today, that God is the safest person, the safest one in the universe to allow into that little closet of your mind, that part of your heart. And this morning, I'd want to encourage you, if you've never invited him, we talk about letting Jesus come into your heart, that's letting him come into your why. That's letting him come in and discover truly what makes you tick. And he discovers some things in your closet, if it's like mine, that are pretty average. And he says, let's, let's have a bit of a clean out. He says, I'll tell you what, if I move in, we're cleaning that stuff out. All of the stuff we live in for yourself, and the moments where you're inclined to do things that suit you, are going to slowly but surely be evicted. We're going to have a clean out. We're going to get a skip bin in and we're going to clean out the crap. And you're going to get cleaned up and you're going to have a brand new life because he wants to get into and clean up your why so that you and I can live for the benefit of other people. All right, I reckon I've said plenty about that. So let me just ask some questions. These are why questions. Maybe just to help you think where your why is sitting this morning. Why did you get out of bed today? Why did you come to church? Why do you go to work? If you're a person who saves money, why do you save money? If you're a person who spends money, why do you spend money? Just begin to tease conversationally with yourself this week, why questions. Why does it matter to me that X, Y and Z happens?
Another question is, do I compare and judge other people's whys? Am I inclined to dig around and so forth? Just something to ponder before we come to a close today. But God doesn't. He wants all to be free to come to him and be assured they'll be welcome with a huge celebration. Look, this story is such good news if you've made a stuff up of your life. This story is such good news because it confirms to us that God's heart towards each one of us is not moved by our sinfulness. It's not moved by our mistakes. God's heart toward us is not moved by anything. God's heart toward us is moved by that. That moment in time when his son died is what he looks at and is reminded of every time you and I try to put our filth in front of him, he doesn't see it. Every time we're prepared to lay our lives in front of him and say, God, I've been a complete idiot, he says, what are you talking about? He's not looking at it. He wants you and I to have an inbuilt confidence. Why can I run to God? Because he's for me. Why can I completely and utterly go down that road? Because I know he's for me. If I can do anything this morning that will change your life in an instant, it is to convince you that God is for you. And then when you are brave enough to face your why and really dig into it, you might feel like I can run to him because he's for me. He wants the best for me. He wants to fill me with his goodness. He wants his nature of living for you to become something that you yourself live for with others. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? So what about you this morning? Notice I didn't say why about you. I said what about you? Will you come to him? If you won't come to him, do you know why? Some people have been massively hurt in relationships in church, relationships in families. There's all sorts of horrendous things go on on planet Earth. And sometimes we've closed the door because the what's are so terrible. And somewhere in the middle of that, we kind of either maybe assume or I think we believe that our why is attached to that, which it will be. But I'm convinced the more I've looked at this topic this week particularly and gearing up to look at it closely for the whole year, the why question, we mentioned that back in February, we're going to try and unpack that question throughout the whole of this year, why. I am absolutely convinced that it's a a part of our world that only the brave go into, the courageous. When Joshua was standing on the brink of conquering Jericho and receiving the promise of God, Moses said to him, God said to him, sorry, be very strong and courageous. It's a very strong and very courageous person that opens up the arena of their world where their why questions live. Can I just now find out who's stubborn here? Invite you to close your eyes. Father, I thank you that we've had this time to come around a story that expresses your incredible, unfailing love for people. 
pray, Lord, that something has been said, something has come out of my mouth in this last 30 minutes that has opened the door of hearts to begin the journey of cleaning out and cleaning up the why questions. Maybe inviting the goodness of God for the very first time to come in to that heart space and begin to shift and to heal and to minister love into a why. Pray for people here this morning, Lord, who are very broken in this part of their life. Life's been a bit of a mess. Some of their journey is too painful at times to even remember. And I pray right now, Lord, that in this sacred couple of minutes that there's just an open, an open door, an open heart where the God who loves us can enter in. Just whilst we're standing in this moment of quietness, I want to ask you a couple more questions and then we'll come to a close. Have you come to your senses? Maybe not right in this moment of time this morning, but are you on a journey in life? Are you like the sun who's actually doing a whole lot of activity, feeding the pigs, being hired, but he's going nowhere. He's found himself at a dead end. And this morning you're at a dead end. And for some people, a moment like this in church is the moment where we come to our senses. And all of a sudden our why shifts. We go from not believing to believing. We go from not sensing or feeling the love of God to actually sensing and feeling the love of God in our heart. If that's you this morning, if something has shifted in you about your sense of God's pro-you attitude and you've opened your door of your heart to Him this morning, I'd say you're beginning to take a step towards becoming a person who's giving their life or recommitting their life, finding the love of God again. I'd love you to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to give my life to Him. I want Him to come in and help me unravel my why so I can live for the benefit of others. If that's you this morning, if you slip your hand up and say, Pastor Bruce, would you pray with me? Because we'd love to pray a prayer that invites Christ to come into that part of our world. We invite Him into our heart. Anyone at all. This is a very sacred and special moment. Especially if you're the person who's thinking, that's me. I'm right there. So in the next five seconds, I'd just love you to think a little more action-focused. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to reach out to God. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else want to just respond to this word this morning? This is a bit of a hybrid altar call. It's not just salvation call, which it can be. But it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to say seriously to God, Lord, I've been 
I've been closed in this arena of my life and I want to open the door to you. Anyone else? I just want to say these words after me, then everybody join with me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that it is truth and that when it comes to me, Lord, it changes me. I thank you, Lord, today that I have been able to open my heart to you afresh. I ask you to come now and walk with me and fill me. Make me your child. Make me one who follows you. Make me to be one who lives for the benefit of others. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus died for me and that I am your child. In his name we pray. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Thank you, Lord.